So here we are again. Here we are again. Are you rolling? I'm rolling. All right. Before we started on this, you were talking about the Ernie Ells Foundation, and I would love to hear um, how you got involved with them and whether that was before or after you decided on doing the second documentary that I want to hear so much about, about interviewing. I mean, you have interviewed um, amazing people for that. I won't give it away. I'll let you talk about that. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited to hear about your latest documentary and how that's come about. And if you're willing to go there in this podcast, I think that'd be great. It's all started with Stephen Shore, yeah. who I met in Boston when we were working with Dr. Arnold Miller at the Language and Cognitive Development Center. I have to tell you real quickly, the only time I've met Stephen Shore was at an Autism Society National Conference. And I, he is such a superstar in the field that I actually... Um, asked him if I could t have my picture taken with him, <laughs> and he he was so polite about it, but he was so funny. He said it was, um, I don't know, he said something like, uh, he felt like such a celebrity because I was wanting a, a picture op. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, Stephen is a, he's a really humble, Definitely. focused, beautiful individual. Yeah. And the minute I met him, I knew that this was somebody that I wanted to connect really hard with. And it was it was in the beginning of his advocacy work. He was doing little things. He and Dr. Miller knew each other, and I'm honestly not sure how. I mean, they were both living in Boston. And Stephen showed up at the Language and Cognitive Development Center to talk to parents about you know, what it was like from the inside, basically. Mm -hmm. That was his thing, you know. What he, year was that? 1997 or eight. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was early on in our journey with Jack and early on in Stephen's advocacy yeah. career. I just found, going through uh, my storage unit, the handout that he gave uh -huh. on that particular day, and it was this Xerox sheet of about I don't know 10 pages pictures hmm. of you know him growing up and it sort of told this story and so that's what 16 17 18 years ago and Stephen you know he was new to the whole thing and but he was so passionate and you could just tell that he wanted people who had kids on spectrum to know what it's like for those kids that. One of my favorite things when I've gone to see him at, I think it was at that conference, was he does a sensory experience. Have you yes. experienced that? Yeah. 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 Where he has about five people stand around one person and then do basically annoying things to that person so that they get a sense of being overwhelmed by sensory experiences. Right. Fantastic. I still use that, borrow it when I'm doing presentations too. He's one of those, I don't want to say rare people on Spectrum who can, who can talk our neurotypical language. Mm -hmm. You know, he can put it out to those of us who really can't possibly understand what it's like to be inside that body. Mm -hmm. uh, and just it was so helpful mm -hmm. to, to get that from him. And I talked to him after, and I just said, dude, we got to stay in touch. And Stephen, this was kind of pre-Facebook, and he's, he's just really responsive. He loves to instant message. He loves Facebook. 
But what's happened, obviously, since then, he went and got his doctorate in Mm -hmm. education and really made his life around teaching. Mm -hmm. He teaches at Adelphi University in New York. And travels worldwide on a regular basis. Yeah. All over the place. Stephen's whole travel thing, he loves to travel. Just (laughs) loves. I heard him say that. (laughs) He loves to travel. And one of the things that he loves the best is turbulence on an airplane. Really? Especially if he can see the wings flapping. You know, he's so open about Mm -hmm. the things that really thrill him when Mm -hmm. it comes to his his diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And just that alone is something that is is really really fun to listen to so after we met and we stayed in touch and then i was doing a lot of presentations around and i was running into him at various places my favorite was in we were in san jose california i can't remember the name of the organization but he did his presentation and i kind of you know, was chiming in once in a while. We played some music together. He's a great musician. Is he really? He's a fabulous musician. And what do you play? Drums. Oh. And didn't have a full kit, but I had my knees. You know, drummers <laughs> basically, if you have your knees and and your feet, you're you're all right. It can lead to bruising sometimes. But Stephen, uh, he just he just knows himself so well. And he is so able to let anybody know what he knows about himself, which is, mm-hmm. you know, being an adult man on spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, his story's really interesting, you know, basically no language. And his parents really stepped up. Institutionalization was recommended for him. And so you were running into him. While yeah, so we kept, we, right, and we just kept, kept in touch and, the first time I actually got him to sit down for an interview was in California. Oh, in San Jose. When in San there. Jose. And that was incredible. And I made a video for him to put on his website. By this time, he'd written a couple of books. And he started using the video. He may still be using it. I don't know. And so... Every year, we would try to coordinate our schedules to be together for another sit-down interview. And because things have changed in in my business, it's Mm -hmm. no longer, you know, everything's high definition. Mm -hmm. When I first interviewed Stephen, I had a great camera, but it was standard definition. And so I really wanted to do something special with him. And... So it was about two years ago, he called me up and he said, so is uh, Tri-Cities, Washington anywhere near you? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, it's not far. I can drive over there. And he said, well, I'll tell you, I'm keynoting at a conference there and my friend Temple's going to be there as well. Do you you have any interest in interviewing Temple Grandin? And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, I'd met her a number of different times, but she is, like Stephen, a rock star, and the demands on her time are extraordinary. But this time in the Tri-Cities, actually Richland, was it Richland, Pasco, or Kennewick? It was Kennewick, because there's three cities over there, which is why they call it the Tri-Cities, strangely enough. And uh, (laughs) so Temple did her big presentation and then had a special vip luncheon uh and i I remember hearing about that 
about the conference? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. It was pretty amazing. But the the best part of it for me, the interview with her was great. Um, she is so no nonsense and mm-hmm. just tells it, boy, talk about somebody who tells it like it is. The, the highlight for me was having breakfast with her and Stephen in the hotel, uh, you know, continental breakfast area. There were so many interesting conversations going on between the two of them that, you know, I feel like I can't really share a lot of of what I heard that day because I don't have permission and I would probably somehow take it, take it out of context, but (laughs) it was just fascinating sitting there and listening to these two brilliant people who are obviously very focused on autism and focused on things in the world that we don't focus on. Obviously, they have a lot in common, and they're great friends. Great rapport with one another. Yeah. It would be fun. Mm-hmm. Their friendship, though, is is different than, mm-hmm. you know, most friendships. There was a lot of discussion, I remember that day, about frequent flyer miles <laughs> and what to do with them, because both of them travel all over the world. and and uh, But it's just fun. You know, they're just great human beings who are committed to making a difference and so I interviewed them and about a year before well no it wasn't that long maybe six months prior to to grabbing those interviews I met with someone that you know very well Jonathan Chase Mm -hmm. and Jonathan I believe in my own opinion anyway he is another person on spectrum who has the unique and wonderful ability to let those of us who, you know, aren't, Mm -hmm. know what it's like. Absolutely. The interview I did with Jonathan was all about Autism Awareness Month. I met him through a woman named Courtney Freitag, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She did my logo. Jonathan is really one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met, you know, just in terms of his ability to connect with those of us neurotypicals, but also he's just an extraordinary musician. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I love, I love Jonathan, uh, like a son. And so I had these three different interviews with people on spectrum from three generations. Mm-hmm. Jonathan's 30, I believe now, or, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen's late forties and Temple, probably pushing 70 I'm not really sure but I started looking at the interviews and I realized how well they all fit together Jonathan has a lot to say about his generation and how he was bullied and basically how he practiced so hard to fit in a lot about his school experiences yeah mm-hmm. and then Stephen it's it's more about what his parents did and mm-hmm. and how they worked really hard to to make him who he is mm-hmm. today and temple is uh, probably most people listening have seen the movie on HBO i mean that's yeah. the school of hard knocks from from temple yeah. so just kind of hearing them all talk about their experiences and what it was like for them and how they got to where they are today and what they're still dealing with too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an easy from from everything that I've ever heard. It's not an easy place in life to be when one has sensory issues or one has any kind of diagnosis that's you know away from 
again, whatever neurotypical means. I'm well, it's not, interesting. I hadn't really thought about it from the intergenerational standpoint, but I know that one of the podcasts I listened to, another one about with Temple being interviewed um, on a neuroscience podcast or something, that I really appreciated her like talking about being raised 50s and 60s then, 50s maybe, mm-hmm. and how um, some of those things need to be carried over. Right. Where being really clear about behavior boundaries and having manners and things like that are things that are actually helpful for kids on spectrum to really have an understanding around. And I appreciated that from a generational standpoint. So that's cool that you're thinking about it from, you know, Jonathan and Stephen and Temple. And and Temple is very specific. Yeah. Not shockingly about the whole manners thing. You know, she's from the 50s. Stephen's more from the 60s. And and he's got a different vibe to it. Huh. Uh, I haven't heard him talk specifically about that. So in your documentary, tell me a little bit more about, do you get into that stuff or? You know, a little bit. Certainly with Temple, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Stephen, it's really more about kind of his views on just being different and how he has worked with his his own abilities and how many people have helped him and his passion just like mm-hmm. Jonathan's really and just like Temple's the the commonality is that they want to make a difference for families who have someone in their family mm-hmm. with that diagnosis and they're also incredibly honest too Mm -hmm. and i think that's true for everyone i've ever met with autism absolutely that that's one of the beautiful things about autism it's beautiful incredible honesty there's no question about it Mm -hmm. you know the honesty component of of those three and like you just said anybody who has the diagnosis whether they're verbal or not Mm -hmm. doesn't matter the honesty and the other thing is there is a freedom, an internal freedom, I think, for these folks to just innately be who they are, mm. right? And and that's, I wish I could do that, you know? Uh, do you, just to bring in a little bit from the last podcast, do you have any moments with Jack, your son, that highlight that? Oh, yeah. Pretty much food, round food, would be one thing. And being very specific about what he wants and the difficulties of trying anything new. Okay, give me an example. Um, Memory. French fries. Okay. Any kind of French fry. I think most families can relate with kids with autism eating French fries. French fries (laughs) were Jack's thing, and still are. And vegetables... Not so much. Uh-huh. I even tried one time to make, uh, what was it? It was green beans. I deep fried them, <laughs> thinking I could fool him. But he caught me right away. You know, the the ability to, whatever <laughs> sense he was using, he knew. I put ketchup out, you know, it was going to be a big party, and it didn't work. But, you know, pretty much anything that he wouldn't, or didn't want to do, he would let you know. 
mm-hmm. and whether getting haircuts. You know, all of the sensory things that so many mm-hmm. parents deal with haircuts. Um, being in loud restaurants, going to school sometimes, wearing certain kinds of shoes, mm-hmm. wanting to be naked, mm-hmm. everything. But it was always uh, a battle to try to, to change that behavior. And obviously you have a lot of strategies, ways to, to work with that. But the initial honest reaction of just saying no, even right. if they're not saying no, sure. Is the clarity of it. The clarity. It's right there in your face. <laughs> yep. And, you know, sometimes it's really difficult to deal with. All right. So bring us back to the conversations with Steve and Temple and Jonathan and your documentary. What is your, what is the mission of your documentary? What do you want to accomplish with it? I want people to have a better understanding of autism spend time with three of the most brilliant people I've ever met, regardless of whether there's a diagnostic criteria or not. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's always about trying to offer up to parents or professionals hope mm. and provide some kind of little nugget, some kind of little piece that will make them more hopeful about having a child with this diagnosis, but also hope that they can have a son or daughter who really can add something important to their lives and society in general. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much been my mission with all of the autism films that I've done, whether they've been for television or whether they've been for the educational market, is to just put something out there that allows people watching it to go, I never thought of that, or that's not so bad, or you know, maybe I could try that and it would be awesome and helpful. So I like to ask the hard questions. So... Jonathan, Stephen, Temple, they have all, they're all very verbal. They're all very independent adults. Not everybody on the autism spectrum is going to achieve that level, or we don't know for a lot of people, right? We still have those high expectations, and I'm somebody who's going to push people to keep having higher expectations than you expect. But how I'm sure that listeners and probably watching the documentary too, if somebody has some a child with autism that is nonverbal, for example, um, I don't know where Jack falls on the spectrum, and I'm always somebody who, what is the spectrum anyway? And there's so many, right. like you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of asking, how do you, as a dad, think about that of these role models who are amazing people, and I think everybody is amazing and their own rights. How do you reconcile that, though, with if a family's watching your documentary, for example, saying, well, my child might not be able to do that? Well, I can tell you about Jack. He's nonverbal, more or less. He's, He's not conversational verbal. You know, he can come up and say French fries, please, or uh-huh. chocolate milk, or Perfect. that kind of thing. Right. He's, yeah. he's, good. he's good with that. His receptive language is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but Probably better than we even know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, but to the guts of your question, 
just seeing anyone with an issue um, excel, mm-hmm. I think, provides inspiration mm-hmm. for those who may have people who, you know, children mm-hmm. on spectrum in their lives who won't reach that level. But I always say, you never know. Absolutely. You just don't have a clue what's going to happen tomorrow. And uh, trust me, I'm not a, a curby, I think, is, mm-hmm. is what, uh, what it's called. Um, <laughs> I heard that. Yeah, I think a, a curby. Um, but there can be in my son's lifetime, in all of the babies who are diagnosed now, it's 50 years is a long time. And I know from talking to researchers, and there is a lot of research going on, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's going to be a magic bullet, but who knows? And if there is one, would you want to actually use it? I don't know. You know, that's another question that that is out there in the autism world that I always ask people, parents, uh, when I when I interview them. You know, if there was that, would you use it? I've enjoyed asking adults with yeah. autism, yeah. and most of them say no, that they wouldn't care, but that they would try and alleviate obstacles to social and sensory. So, kind of back to what you were saying about for the documentary and your mission is for people to understand autism. The way that I think about it for the spectrum, so kids who are nonverbal or um, unreliably verbal, um, is I think for people just to even understand better the sensory experiences or sensory overwhelm that happens, that alone can help everybody around anybody with autism have a better understanding to then be able to raise them up to the next level or optimal learning, whatever that is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely true. And I, I think the fact that Stephen and Temple and Jonathan can express it yeah. in a way, as I said before, that it, mm-hmm. those of us poor neurotypicals can <laughs> understand it, I think is really, really important. And I've learned so much about, even though Jack is mostly nonverbal, I've learned so much about how to connect with him from Stephen mostly because you know he's been in my life pretty much since Jack was diagnosed the whole pathway thing so Jack isn't going to come up to me and say hey dad you know I'd really like to watch Winnie the Pooh and have you sit there and sing along with me while I'm watching it he's not going to do that Uh but I know because he's has a very significant and special interest in cartoons that me figuring out ways to participate with him mm. in that activity, which is not easy, uh, is a really important thing and can enhance the connection that we have. Connections are not all about being verbal anyway, really. Absolutely. And so in, in my case with Jack my connections with him were all about activities generally mm-hmm. other than conversation whether it was hiking we talked about that whether mm-hmm. it was watching television mm-hmm. whether it was riding in the car and playing CDs whether swimming mm-hmm. again we talked about this before the fact that t- the typical connection a dad would make 
with the son, if you're like theoretically have an athletic family, would be to play catch. You know, that's mm -hmm. the big father son sure. thing. And so I, of course, tried that with Jack, and he was throwing the glove. He didn't have any interest in the ball. Right. So, so I basically, because that was his special interest, that was the pathway into getting him to participate. If I threw the ball or tried to put the glove on his hand, speaking the same language, no basically. but right. if i just picked up this glove and you know yeah. started throwing it to him you know he would catch it he and would throw you know it what back. that also does is it assumes motivation right where that might be what steven also taught you i don't know i'm putting words in your mouth but just that not assume that somebody doesn't want connection right yeah and that's the thing because i do believe that there is, somebody told me once that, okay, so this child of yours has autism, but he's still human, mm -hmm. right? And what do human beings thrive off of? Yep. Connection. Yeah. And so whether it's verbal or not, whether it's physical or not, the fact, I mean, Jack doesn't particularly like hugging. You know, he's, he's sort of adverse to that. But, you know, he'll give me a high five and he'll give it to me really hard. Um, and, and that becomes a game, too. You yeah. know, some people just they'll give you a little tap, you know, and then other people just like to nail you with it. And so that's another way of, of interaction and connection that has nothing to do with his ability to speak. Yeah. Um, Dr. Miller, I remember, told me once, he said, you know, communication is not about language necessarily. It's about so much more than that. Oh, I wish more people thought that way. Well, I remember Dr. Miller said to me, we were talking, and this was during uh, not the first Comeback Jack documentary, but I think the second one, when it's, it's about the family implosion and about how Jack was doing after our first visit. And he said something like, you know, Jack's talking. I think the way he put it was, people come here and they say, I've got a problem. My kid's not talking. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, Jack's talking, right? I'm like, yeah. Well, you still have a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because there's no connection social reciprocity oh there you go that's right you've got all the big words yeah. i like that i like the that. social back and forth yeah of human connection right yeah and and but there there can be that it's just yeah. it's a different way of being really well you have to really listen which gets back to what jonathan and steven and temple are helping people understand is how to listen better right to what people with autism are telling us right so back to your documentary yes um, so you, you, your mission is for people to understand autism better. Anything else? That the hope component yeah. to it, providing, providing hope to families who have the diagnosis. It's not as hopeless as it was when Jack was diagnosed or Stephen or Temple or Jonathan. It's, uh, it's not as cruel of a, a word as it used to be and I think anybody in the field is thankful for that. It's amazing how that still is though the case. I mean I have a family with a actually we I interviewed her for the last podcast Diane and she talks about um, when she received the diagnosis thinking that they stopped learning the moment that they got the diagnosis or that the diagnosis meant that they couldn't learn anymore and that she had to learn and that was only I don't know, 10 years ago. I'm trying to think of how old her son is. 
But then to make this realization that, no, no, it just <laughs> means that they may have to learn in a little bit different way or have you understand some different set of developmental pieces. Tell me more about your, so your documentary was finished this past year. I just really finished the final, final within the last month. Wow. I tend to be a, a tweaker, um, which means basically in television land that I look at every frame and make sure it looks good and make sure the edits are all compatible and interesting and don't jar the the viewer. So, um, so yes, it's it's done. I'm <laughs> starting the process of shopping it. I've opened a Twitter account around around the documentary. I have a Facebook page and I've really started getting serious about finding underwriters, which is one thing we need to do in television land. American public television over the last 20 years has carried four or five of my autism things plus another uh, several documentaries about other topics and and I'd like to make sure that those links are on my website when after the, that go with this podcast so well thank you, you. Send those to me I of course Excellent. yeah of course so right now it's tentatively slated depending upon funding to air in 2017 we're going to probably try to hold it off until April you know, around the spring, mm -hmm. Autism Awareness Month. Oh, sure. And uh, so that's that's pretty much where that's sitting right now. Parts of it I've been showing on my, uploading on my YouTube channel, Facebook. Uh, other parts of it are going to start appearing through the L's for Autism yeah, organization. Yeah, so tell me more about that relationship with them. Tell me who they are first and why you approached them or why they approached you or whatever. Okay, Ernie Els is a professional golfer from South Africa, and he's very good. And a very good professional golfer means that he's won a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And his life changed, like so many families' uh, lives do. He had a son, has a son, who was diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful, I'll, I'll see if I can get you the link, there's a beautiful story about them in a national publication, I think it's Forbes magazine, hmm. and how for Ernie, like for so many dads, it, everything changed almost immediately on you know hearing mm -hmm. the words. But really, like, for all of us, before we actually got the diagnosis, because you know something's up. You know, I almost wonder if I've heard him in a keynote I talking don't... about just how his expectations and how kind of dreams of being a, a dad to, you know, this future golfer, but maybe, right. yeah, I'm not sure. And just how it shifted, it didn't, it, you know, he just had to shift his lens. Exactly, and that, that's a great way of putting it, and... So he did, and he decided to use his celebrity uh -huh. to talk to funders. And ultimately what's happened is in Jupiter, Florida, he has built, it's called the Center of Excellence. It's mm. basically a school. Uh, right now I think it's K through 8, and they just recently poured the uh, foundation for the high school. It's a beautiful oh, wow. campus in a beautiful area, 
everything in that building has been just designed specifically for kids with sensory issues. Oh, wow. The staff uh, went around the country to autism schools that were considered the best mm -hmm. and took bits and pieces from what they learned and put them into this school. Oh. Everything from the windows kind of being elevated so kids can't be distracted by mm -hmm. seeing outside. It's all LED lighting. Mm -hmm. It just goes on and on, but it's extraordinary, and I'm 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 really excited. And that's the thing. I believe we've we've talked about this already. the The best part, not the best part, but certainly one of the best parts of having uh, someone in your family with this diagnosis, it's the people you meet yeah. along the way. You know, here we are. Yeah. But then there's also I can think of I just if I wanted to, you know rattle off names i could probably rattle off a hundred people right now who are in my life only because i have a son mm -hmm. with the diagnosis i wish that parents who are just hearing the diagnosis of autism for the first time had a really good understanding about how their lives are going to be enriched by the people they come in contact with mm -hmm. specifically because of their child's diagnosis. There's so many people that I've met over the years. My life would not be as rich, I guess that's the, the word, had I not met them. They've, they've shaped me in ways that I had no idea I could be shaped. <laughs> That makes including sense. Jonathan Chase and Temple Grandin and Stephen Shore in your upcoming documentary. And Barbara, how do we say your last name again? Avila. Avila. <laughs> Barbara Avila. Why can't I say that? I, so, yeah. Um, if somebody was looking to either watch or fund, help fund your documentary, how would they do that? Well, they could send me an email mm -hmm. at Robert at autisminsiders.org. Okay. I have a Facebook page around all my autism work that's called Embra Autism Embracing. Embracing Autism? No, that's the book. I get all of these confused. <laughs> this is my autism acting up. It's The Facebook page is called Autism Warming to Its Cold Embrace. There's a Twitter account at Autism Insiders. And really, just going to YouTube, I have mm -hmm. videos up there, and really all you have to do is search. I have videos up there since, I think I started my channel in 2000, or oh, wow. right when YouTube started, whenever that was. And so there's probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 hmm. videos Excellent. up there. And how would they find out that through your name or through autism? I would say just go to YouTube and search autism. And it'll come up. Yeah, yeah, it'll come up. And then the book, Fabulous. you know, uh, which is called Embracing Autism, Connecting and Communicating with Children and Adults Ooh, on the name. Autism Spectrum. And that's a really great book. There's a lot of great information in there. And, you know, the other thing I'll say about all of the work that I have done in this field, I like to think that because of the way I've handled it, it's not 
not time sensitive. In other words, yeah. the book came out in 2008. I think it's exactly appropriate for now, even the first documentary, Come Back Jack, because I don't tend to go into any causalities or treatments or yeah. any of the stuff that seems to be, you know, constantly, constantly changing. So and controversial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the shelf life on this stuff, I feel like can go on hopefully till something really major happens like yeah. that magic bullet or right. whatever is going to change. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, think about cancer. Think about any disease or any kind of condition. Not only how how it's understood. You know, we've talked about autism, the refrigerator mothers. That was like 70 years ago. Yeah. That's not that long. Cancer. That's, yeah. You know, true. any kind of any kind of issue things have have changed so dramatically in a short period of time and I think that's another good thing for parents to hold on to is that whatever is going on right now is going to be way different in five years, ten years. Well, we're years. learning so much more about not only autism, but the brain and development right. and just in all areas that I think are going to affect the field of autism, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. We're so wrapping up. We're wrapping up. Okay.